I love the book of Proverbs, and so I always start a, a proverb. Um, but before I do that, let me pray, because we're going to get into God's word. And, and this is the only thing that the Lord honors above even his own name, and that is his word. Lord, with that kind of understanding about how much you value this, we, um, we open our hearts, God, to what it is that you would want to say to us. Not that guy up in front, but Lord, maybe through, through these next few minutes that your spirit would speak individually and personally to every one of us, including me. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen? Amen. Okay, so Proverbs 8, I just, this is not the text for today, um, but this is a good one. Um, Proverbs eight twenty two. the Lord created wisdom, first of all, the first of his works, long ago. That's amazing. That's a, wisdom is a created thing that God created. I, got, I have this friend that I've known for years, um, and uh, he, he, he is someone that I know will pray. If I have a need, if I call this guy up and say, hey, name, fill in the blank, um, I, I really need somebody to pray for, would you pray for me about this? And he's, he's, he's very structured and focused about me. He'll say, okay, exactly, what do you want me to pray for, and how long do you want me to pray for it? You know, he always wants a time limit. He doesn't, he, he doesn't want that thing where, okay, he'll pray and in the by and by, and at some point he'll forget about it or whatever. He'll say, you know, how long do you want me to pray for that? Two weeks? 30 days, 90 days, tell me what it is. And I know that on the 91st day, whatever the day after the, he's not praying for it anymore. He expects by then it will have been answered or something. I mean, he just, he's very focused. And I, I love his approach. It's interesting though, he won't just pray for anything. He'll, what are you praying for? What do you want me to pray for? And he thinks, that he considers this before he answers. You know, he'll think, does this seem consistent with the kinds of things that would be in the Lord's will? And he, he sizes it up. It's like if, you know, if you ask him to pray about whether or not you should get a cat for a pet, he doesn't need to pray for that. He already knows that is not the Lord's will. <laughs> I've been silent on cats for a while. I'm sorry. No, but I mean, seriously, he'll, he'll, he'll consider, it, okay, this, this could be consistent with the word, and he'll pray. He won't just pray for anything because you ask for it. I mean, I, I love that. He holds me accountable, and the people who ask him to pray, he holds accountable that they're going to be asking for something that's somewhere within the will of the Lord. And um, he knows exactly what he's going to do. And I, I think that works for him. But not everybody's so comfortable with praying. I think a lot of us, we think about praying, and we think, you know, I just don't pray right. Or... I, just, I know I just don't pray enough. There's just problems with the way I pray, so we kind of don't. And uh, we're in a series about prayer. This is, um, this is the fourth week. It's the final week. The first three weeks, we, week one, we talked about praying for the power of God in our life, a, a, a good place to start. The second week, we talked about the prayer Paul prayed for us to be active in sharing our faith. And there's good reasons why, beyond just the sharing of the word of God, but um, you know, it helps us understand the, the full riches of God's glory. And, and then la- last time we talked about praying for unity in the body of Christ and how the, somehow the Lord takes unity in the body of Christ and translates that spiritually so that people in the world know that God loves them. I don't, it doesn't connect. But somehow when there's unity in the body of Christ, the world looks on and they think, God loves me. That's what the scriptures teach. Today we're going to talk about 
what I think might be one of the most important prayers, and that is how important it is for us to know what is best. That's the phrase that the Apostle Paul uses. So, you know, I mean, I, I think you and I are going to see how important it is to know what's best. Maybe, maybe you have some major decisions in front of you. I mean, we have a wide range here. Maybe you're um, um, a junior or a senior in high school, and you're thinking, okay, what am I going to do about college? What's my future going to be? Where will I go? Pretty big decisions. What's best? Or, you know, maybe some of you are making these big decisions. I'm going to buy a house or... Should I move? Should I sell? I mean, big, major financial impact. What's best? Maybe there's a relational question. You know, this guy is asking me out. I have no idea what, I, I just don't know. I just don't, what's best? Yeah, I'd like to know what's best. I bet you would like to know what's best. And that's central to the prayer that Paul uh, Praise and shares in his letter to the Philippian church in Philippians 1, verses 9 and 10. Now, Paul is this guy who wrote almost a whole third of the New Testament. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. And, and when he writes this, you know, he's writing, he's actually in prison in Rome, which, you know, that's kind of interesting. I mean, if you hear today that there's a book available from some guy who's, you know, he wrote from his cell in Sing Sing, you're probably not going to rush to go oh, let this guy speak into your life, right? So it's amazing that the Lord used the writings of a man in prison to be so influential. Just, okay, that was a rabbit trail. Sorry, I should get back on tech. But, but here, he's in prison. He doesn't know what the future holds. He, he doesn't know if tomorrow is the day they're going to execute him. He doesn't know. He has no idea. So he's writing this letter to these people in the church of, uh, in in, in the Philippian church, and he loves these people dearly, and here's what he writes, and this is starting in verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And then he explains why. He says, so that you may be able to discern what is best. He says, I pray your love would abound more and more. Now, I think it's important, I like to see, when I see the word love in the scriptures, you know, what kind of love are you talking about here, Paul? What's that mean? Because there are several kinds of love. Maybe you've heard this taught before in a church. There are several different kinds of love that are described in the scriptures. Um, so the, the, the four types are, um, you'll see the word eros in there. It won't be written that way. It'll just be translated as love. We get our word um, erotic from that, and it, it, it actually means desire, longing. Okay, so that's there. there's that kind of love. Phylos is the kind of love that um, you would have for a companion or a, fa- a pal, a friend, okay? And that is the kind of love that is most commonly expressed in the body of Christ, okay? A third kind um, that you don't see too often is, is, is storge. In fact, the word storge doesn't appear by the script, in the scriptures by itself. It's only there in a compound word that you find in Romans 12, where it's compounded with the word phylos, so it's, a, it's, it's combined, that, that scripture is, it says, be kindly affectionate, um, that combines those two words together. It says, be kindly affectionate with, with one another in brotherly love, and, and so you see, that, see that. But the word in this scripture is agape. Agape. Agape is a divine love of the Lord. But what does that mean? That sounds rosy. What's it actually mean? I mean, it, here's what it means. It's not some impulse that's generated out of your feelings. That's not what this is. It's, it's an exercise of the will. This is a kind of love that, that is a deliberate 
decision, a choice that you and I make. You know, that's why the Lord can command you to agape, to love your enemies. It's not like the Lord is commanding you to have warm and rosy feelings towards your enemies. God is commanding you to behave lovingly toward your enemies. That's what that scripture is saying when he's, when he's saying, you know, he's not saying you've got to have a good feeling about them. He's, he's saying act in a loving way towards your enemies. Agape love is related to obedience and commitment to God, not necessarily feeling and emotion. Obedience and commitment. Agape loving someone is seeking their long-term blessing. It's so different than um, what we want to think. And, and you know, I, 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 had this, um, I had this eBay experience last week. You had to shop on eBay ever? I was buying something on eBay, and um, it, was a, it was a part to something, and it's made out of wood, and it's a very specialized part. In fact, it was so specialized that you order this part, and it has to be custom-fitted, and it was CNC machine. It was a pretty intricate little piece of wood, wooden part. And it arrived, and as I cracked open the box and looked at it, excuse me, let me back up. As I opened the box and looked at it, and I could see through the plastic wrapping, the thing was cracked. Now, the thing itself, when it's installed, can be cracked if it's improperly installed by the buyer. You get the picture so far? But when I opened it, it it came pre-installed with the crack, okay? And in fact, when I looked at it, I could see when I looked at the crack that there was something shiny on part of it. It looked like super glue. Okay? Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought, you know? So, so I mean, it was listed on eBay as new, and you, all, you and I both know that if it says so on eBay, it's got to be true, right? Okay. So, <laughs> so I, I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, okay, this thing is cracked. It's been fixed. It was listed as new. Hmm. So I start taking pictures. I said I started complaining to my wife, Lisa, look at this, you know. And now I'm kind of working up a little bit of I'm I'm imagining in my mind how this is all going to go wrong, because if I ask to return it, they're going to say, Hey, you cracked it, not us. But so I took pictures of it and I did the thing on eBay, which I don't know if you know much about. It. I don't do a lot on eBay, but you know you can ask to return things. So I did that. I took the pictures. I asked to return, and I said, it, 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 it was cracked when I received it. It looks like it's been glued. And instead of responding to me, the seller uh, um, rolled it over to eBay. Please handle this for me. Decide what to do. I'm thinking, that's odd. Most of the time, if you buy something, they'll talk to you. And so then I get this no- notice, this email from eBay, and it says... Um, the owner or the seller has asked us to handle this. We'll make a decision, an impartial decision, to let you know. Eleven minutes goes by. I get another notice from eBay. We've decided in the seller's favor. Right? I'm kind of, I'm get, kind of getting a mad on. Wait a minute. This cost me like seventy dollars. I shouldn't have to pay. For, it was broken, you know. So I looked the thing over and. Um, it's now into the evening, and nobody at eBay can do much for me. So I, it says call to appeal. Well, you can appeal. So the next morning when they're all out of bed and chipper, I call them up. And in the meantime, I get this flaming email from the seller. How could you accuse us of this? You know you're lying about this. All this stuff. 
Now, I'm just getting more angry, right? Because I wasn't lying. I mean, I lied when I told my mother I hadn't had cookies, but that was a long time ago. (laughs) There may have been others. Anyway, so... um, (laughs) So, um, but I wasn't lying about this. I mean, so I was kind of ticked. And I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be a bad experience that I'm going to have to comment on in eBay. And I'm just going to say, watch out, buyer beware. You know, I was going to rate the guy. I had, a, in fact, <laughs> I had a negative rating all written up. And man, I was good. <laughs> Push the go button. eBay says, are you sure you want a negative? Yeah, I'm sure. Push the button. And it comes back and it says, you may not enter a negative or a neutral rating within seven days. So that they're thinking, oh, they force you to cool off. <laughs> which was God's good. It was good for me. So, so anyway, <laughs> so, so in the meantime, I get this negative letter, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to write something back to this buyer. And I wrote this letter, and I let him have it. And I felt terrible, and I didn't send the go button. And I completely rewrote the thing. I thought, you know, I might be out 75 bucks here, but I don't want... I'm never going to meet this guy. He's in Chicago or someplace. I'm never going to meet this guy, but he has automatically assumed I'm trying to cheat him. So I write this letter, and I say, hey, um, you may have been cheated by other customers, but I want you to know I'm not one of them. And maybe your heart has been bruised. This is not the typical letter. (laughs) Maybe your heart has been bruised by this, but I want you to know that if you assume all of your customers are trying to cheat you, it's really going to eat away at your joy, your peace. And um, go. The letter went. It was a couple of, it wasn't very long. I get an answer back. And instead of his temperature becoming lower, (laughs) and I mean, the rhetoric got red hot. In the meantime, so there were two or three letters that went back and forth. And every time, I was really trying to agape this guy. He would not receive it from me. But I felt good about what I was. I wasn't condescending. I wasn't... I had already been told by eBay, no. It happened two or three letters, and then I get this notice from eBay. We've taken the time to actually look at your pictures and your story. It should have been new. We've reversed our decision, and we're giving you back your money. <laughs> now... Um, I could have I could have wrote in a letter, see? <laughs> I could have, and that's what I wanted to do. That's what was my, I'm sorry to say this, I'm not real proud of this. That was my initial response because the human initial response is when you're pushed, push back. Some of you are way past that and I applaud you for that, but I, I got it in me. And, um, but what agape was, was the, hey, you know, this is 75 bucks. You have a big store. You sell a lot of stuff to a lot of people. This issue has robbed your joy, at least for today. Don't let it go there. That was what, that, that's agape. That's agape. I'm not proud. I'm just, I'm just giving you an example of, of that's, that's what agape was. What kind of love are you talking about here, Paul? He's talking about agape love. He says, a love that's unconditional, from the heart of God. 
And, and it talks about the kinds of things that we need, not the kinds of things that we want. The, the scripture says, I want this agape to abound more and more, both in knowledge and depth of insight. Paul's pointing out that agape love is going to transform you from the inside out. When you have agape love for other people, it'll bless them, but it's going to transform you from the inside out. It changes the way that you act. It changes the way that you think. It changes the things that you do. You, you know, examples of, of changes, like if, when you're a parent, you know, and you have a little child, your, your love for your children transforms the way you behave. <laughs> a lot of us kind of start to grow up when we have kids. You know, we do. It, it transforms you. It transforms the way you think, the way you act, the things that you do. And God can express his agape love for you and for me in lots of different ways. I mean, I mean, one of the ways will be through another follower, another, you know, somebody who knows Jesus, and, and God will utilize those, those kinds of people to speak love and truth into your life. I, I've, I've told you a story before. I was a fourth grader, and um, I lived, we lived in Spokane at the time, and for some reason I was with a friend, and we went to this little beach at Deer Park. And um, I'm a, okay, so I'm a fourth grader, so I'm roughly 10, this is not an actual photo of that place, but it gets you an idea. Okay, get your mind into my story here. And so, um, so I'm with these other fourth grade boys, 10, and there were a couple of girls up the beach, and I would, you know, I thought they were grown women. They were probably ninth graders or something. <coughs> but let's just say they didn't look like the other fourth grade girls. And with my wonderful and astounding maturity at age 10, I started cat calls and making inappropriate comments to these girls. It was really impressing the guys that I was with, and it did not impress these girls. And one of the two girls <clears throat> who was, I, I don't remember anything about her except that she seemed like a fully developed woman, and she was beautiful. She smiled at me, pointed at me, and said, you, come here. Now, I'm on, I'm on this beach with these other guys who I have to impress, and I can't be afraid to go talk to this girl. And so I get up, and I go over, and I, I've told you this story before. I, I can still remember this. I was 10, and uh, she says, Hey, you know when you talk to girls like that, they're not going to want to have anything to do with you. You seem like a nice guy. You shouldn't do that. She didn't scold me. She wasn't angry at me. I really believe, looking back to that moment, because it so drilled into my soul that I still remember it, right? I mean, it so drilled into my soul. It was an act of agape love. I don't know who that girl is. I'll never know until heaven. Maybe I'll see her there. I don't know. But it's not like I'm looking for another woman in heaven. Or <laughs> so you just keep things straight here. Um, <laughs> but I believe the Lord put a love in her heart because she could have just she could have just done a smackdown of some sort. She didn't do that. She didn't. She, she just did something and you know I, I, I sort of believe. And when you, when you let God's agape love reside in your heart you're going to start seeing God's word differently. You know Here's an example of seeing things differently. You've, you're pretty familiar probably with the FedEx logo. You've seen it on an airplane or on a truck or um, on a package at your front door, you, right? You've all seen this logo, right? 
Okay, good. Okay, you're, you're here with me. Do you, notice be- <laughs> Do you notice that between the E and the X, there's an arrow? Kind of squint your eyes and hop on your right foot and you'll see it. Okay. So take the arrow away now. Okay. Now look at the, go to the next slide. Now when you look at this, I've kind of messed with your mind. You're never going to not see that arrow again. You might forget. But with a little bit of extra information now, you see things differently. That's how agape work, works in your heart. When, the agape, when, that, when that kind of love gets in your soul that only God can put in there, you see things that you didn't see before. You see things differently. And Paul is saying, you know, all of a sudden you see God's word differently. This love begins to transform the way you act and the way you see things. And when... Frankly, when other people around you look at a situation and see things, they don't see it the way you will anymore. That's my granddaughter. Was that my granddaughter? She's agreeing. That was the Spirit of God agreeing. (laughs) When people around you who don't walk with the agape love of the Lord see the same things that you lay your eyes on, they don't see what you see. They'll see something of desperation. They'll see something of hopelessness. You will see something different. You'll see God at work. Why? Why? Why do you see things differently? It's because of this verse 9, what's going on here. You know, the agape of love has begun to abound more and more in you, and there's this knowledge of depth and insight that goes to work. And you're going to then be able to discern what is best. When we let the love of God transform us, it changes the way that we do things. Paul's, so, so, the, so Paul's, you know, remember he has this habit of creating, of writing these prayers, and he says, I pray that X, Y, Z, so that, and he tells us what the goal is. And the, the, that, the, the goal of this is the what is best. You know, and I, I think you're thinking, sure, Terry, of course we want to know what's best. Of course. But how do I know? How am I going to know, actually know, Terry, what's best? And I think that's a, a great question. And here's the key thought for today. Key thought for today is this. The key to knowing what is best is knowing God. The key to knowing what is best is knowing God. It's just that simple and that complicated, okay? Knowing God is simple and complicated, um, and, and, and so, so, I mean, I mean and, and with that question, you know, how do I know God? I mean, we've drilled down to the reason you and I come to church. I mean, really, the reason that we come here is, I hope you're not here to, to go Sunday, check mark, did my duty to God. I mean, I hope you're here because there's something down in your soul that thinks, okay, I want to know God a little better than I do. I want to see the work of God. I want to experience something of the miraculous. He's a supernatural God. I want to know God a little better. That's the answer to why I come. (laughs) I think I'm going to know God better if I hang out with you people for a while. It's a good thing. You, You reflect the love of God. It's in you. So how do you know God? How can I know God? I think the first thing is for us to admit that this is a very complex process. Um, and, and it does not come naturally to anybody. If you think, wow, I go to church and all these other people, they kind of feel and they understand things about God, and I just kind of go, but I don't fit in there. You need to understand, this does not come naturally to anybody. Nobody. Isaiah 55 says this, and this is God speaking. 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. That scripture right there says that what you and I think, the things that you think, when you ask the question, if I was the king of the universe, here's what I would do. The things that you think at that moment are not how God thinks. Those are not God's ideas in your head. That is not, it's what scripture here says. Your thoughts are not his, is his, his thoughts. Your ways are not his ways. Verse 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. Wait a second, Terry. Aren't you telling us that we've got to know God? Did, how do we do that? It sounds pretty impossible. I mean, I think first off, the Lord would tell us in very loving, gentle terms, you have to toss out your own opinion. You have to toss out your own conclusions. You've got to toss out your own ideas until you know that they're in alignment with the Lord's thoughts, the Lord's opinions, and the Lord's ideas. Because they're not God's. Ours are not God's. I mean, but, but then is it really possible to know him? I, I'd say yes. With God's help, which is absolutely required, God's help to know him, it's absolutely required or you'll never know him. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 9 Verses 23 and 24, and here, here's what the Lord says. He says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him, let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight declares the Lord. So knowing the God, the creator of the universe, is possible, but it absolutely is going to require his help because our natural conclusions won't get us there. And he can express his love to you and me in an infinite number of ways. Um, so, so when you have faced some big decision, key to knowing what is best is actually knowing God. So how can I know God? God's word teaches several ways. Um, I can see three big ones, and we'll just kind of go over those, and we're just about done here. The first one is this. Seek godly counsel. I like to ask people around me, people that I trust, people that I know walk with the Lord, people that I really believe love me and want my best. I I ask those kinds of people to speak into my life, and and I try to glean wisdom from them. The book of Proverbs tells us about this in 1522. It says, "'Plans fail for lack of counsel.'" But with many advisors, they succeed. It's just wise for you to to ask godly people around you for advice. You want to know what's best? You start by seeking godly counsel from around you. Watch and see what the Lord will do when you do that. God will begin to speak wisdom to you through leaders, through through other people, through godly people that you trust. God God will speak with wisdom to you. And you'll start to see, you know, a consensus emerge from the advice that you get from people. Seek godly counsel. Another way to know God is pretty, seems pretty obvious, and that's to pray. You know, the odd thing, though, about prayer is I think we tend to think of prayer as talking to God. We give this list of our needs to God, and sometimes prayer for us might be declaring his glory. And, and, and I mean, we kind of think of prayer as the stuff that we send signals to God with our voice or our heart or whatever, And I think that's true. But the thing is, I really believe that prayer is a conversation 
I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's talking to God, but it also needs to be listening. Listening for God. I mean, it's amazing in our relationships around here, we understand this, that you, you have a conversation, it's an exchange, you, you talk some. But with God, we kind of leave the listening part out too frequently. I mean, Proverbs, Proverbs warns against this. In Proverbs 18, 13, it says this, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and shame. You know, for example, guys, you know, you, 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 you go home at the end of the day, your tender, sensitive wife says, hey, how was your day? And so you answer, albeit might be really short, up fine, good, da-da-da-da, and you give your quick, short answer. And then you feel, I never do this. Um, <laughs> you feel like you should reciprocate, well, how was your day? Now imagine, well, how was your day, honey? And then you spin on your shoes and walk out of her presence before she has a chance to answer. Imagine doing that. <laughs> it's not a good idea. It's not, it's not listening. And yet we kind of sometimes do that with God. Hey, God, I've got this big thing going on at work, and I really could use your help. Okay, now I'm off doing something where the God would say, but, but, but Terry, I... Oh. Well, no sense in me talking to Terry. He's not listening anyway. And I think we can tend to do that. And what that does is it prevents us from knowing God when we don't listen. I mean, listen for him. You'll hear God's voice. Now, I'm not, I'm not promising you that you're going to hear the audible voice of God. Maybe you will. I, I, ha- I have it. And I think sometimes I wish... I think it's unwise for me to wish this. Sometimes I wish I would hear his audible voice, but then I think, no, I really would not want to hear his audible voice. I mean, it would probably spook me and whatever. But, but you'll hear his voice. Sometimes it'll come in the form of some sort of internal prompting, like the Lord will nudge you and say, you know, you, you really need to go do this, say this. And, and, and sometimes that internal prompting can become so loud that you can't ignore it. I mean, if you've experienced that, you know what I'm talking about. And it's, it's this compelling thing. He wants you to go and say something, go and give something, go and do something, go write something. And until you've done it, it doesn't, you know. And I think listening with God also, by the way, is a two-way street. Catch this. And this is one of people's favorite verses, Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. And not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. By the way, this is off topic, but that's one of the promises of the Lord. This right here is describing the attitude of our Father's heart about you. And if you think God doesn't love you and you have this list of reasons why the things you have done, the flaws in your heart and in your character, and you say, for these reasons, God doesn't want anything to do with me, that's absolutely not true. This scripture tells you how he feels about you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Let me read that one again. I will be found by you 
declares the Lord. You can know God. You can. And it says, he says you will find. He wants to be found. And I'm sure, I'm absolutely positive that every single one of you have heard the voice of God. Probably lots and lots and lots of times. Key to knowing what's best is knowing God. How are we supposed to do that? Seek godly counsel, pray and listen to what he's saying, and then number three, learn God's word. Learn God's word. You know, I, I read God's word and I listen a lot when I'm doing that. It's hard for me to do daily readings because I completely get distracted as I'm going. I feel like all the time I'm reading his word Sometimes he's explaining that passage to me and helping me to understand it. But other times there's this almost a download dump of stuff coming from heaven that the Lord, when you're spending time with him, and I think sometimes that's my fault because I don't spend enough time with him at other times in listening that when I'm stopped and focused that it just almost is overloaded. It's really good. It's really rich. But it's when I'm spending time in his word. Get to know the word of God, and, and I think he, I learned that he'll speak to me through it. Godly counsel is good. Listening in prayer is good. I, I say doing them, but those alone are not enough. And here's why. The Spirit of God, the leading of God, will never, ever, 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 ever contradict his word. Ever. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never contradict what he has written to us. And like I prayed, I said before we prayed at the beginning, this is the only thing Scripture says that God honors above his name, and that's his word. I think sometimes when I'm in a decision process and you know, when, when we're trying to figure things out, God speaks to me through his word. And he says, hey, see, this is what I'm trying to tell you. This is the principle that you need to latch down to, Terry. I mean, my ministry, I'm, I've been a pastor now for decades, and my initial hardwiring what's in me, the way the Lord kind of built me, is um, he gave me an administrative bent, okay? So when I first started pastoring, I was the administrative pastor of a larger church, and over time I became the executive pastor of that church and, and was overseeing this large staff, um, I think at one point, I can't remember, it was a big staff. At one point, I was signing over 100 paychecks. So it was a large, large church staff. And <clears throat> so you can, uh, can guess that there were some very mature leaders on that staff and some beginners. And my little administrative bent, a long time ago, I'm not so much this way anymore, but a long time ago, I, I very clearly had the formula for success in the world all written down almost in my soul, a list of rules. If you could do all these things, we'd be squared away and you'd be on time and the world would succeed. Here's the facts. Do this. And administrative people, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you're going, yeah, well, that's the truth, Terry. It's, okay, right? Administrative people think that way. We have very structured mindsets. And when the non-administrative people come along, they drive us crazy. They don't drive me crazy anymore, I mean, because I've, I've way moved down that spectrum. But at a time, it would drive me crazy. And I am certain that I was driving them crazier. Because they would say, I don't care about 
those rules and those forms in your checklist, Terry. I care about people, right? That's what they would say. And I would think, well, I care about people too. Now fill out the checklist. (laughs) And here's the thing. I was probably scraping my nose in frustration more than I needed to. I for sure was. And I know I was scraping their noses at times. I was hurting people. Not intentional. It just was, it was just this leadership clash at times that was going on. And I remember in my quiet times with the Lord, the Lord saying, hey, Terry, if I'm going to continue to trust you to lead, and it's now referring to these leaders, to lead my precious sons and daughters whom I love and who I'm invested in and who are the way they are because I built them in their mother's womb. Different than you, Terry. (laughs) If I'm going to trust you to lead them, you're going to have to lead with more faith than you're comfortable with. And he takes me to a scripture and asks the question, Terry, do you want to please me? And the scripture he takes me to is what I would tell you and confess to you is probably the primary scripture, my life scripture, if there is such a thing, that always is the yardstick which I have to go back home to. It's the, I'm tied to it like a maypole. It's Hebrews 11.6. It says, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. The scripture goes on. It says, those who come to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I don't mean to minimize the rest of that, but I'm telling you the first part was tattooed down into my soul, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I'd be sitting with someone and talking to them about their ministry and how they were going to develop it and where they were going to go and what their plan was going to be and what, how it was going to be charted out and what the budget, all this stuff, so well planned out that required zero faith, none, because we planned it. And the Lord looks at that and he goes, hmm, Nice going to all burn because there's no faith in that where's your belief in this person's vision where's your belief and and i'm telling you what the lord just kind of took his gentle little thumb stuck it right here under my ribs lifted me up off the ground and pinned me to the wall you know (laughs) terry i love you but if you're going to lead these people you're going to lead differently you're going to lead you're going to become a man of faith yourself and some things happened that absolutely transformed me but it was that scripture And I've never allowed myself to unchain from that scripture. That one. God spoke to me through his word. He spoke to me. And I got to know God's God's heart. I got to know who he is more because of understanding that single one scripture. And there are lots. I can give you other examples, but that's that's the one for me that, that I always go home to. And there are scriptures for you that will seize your soul just like that one seized mine. And by the way, they won't necessarily verify how you see yourself. Instead, they will build you into something that you will never be without God's intervention. It's good. It's a good thing that will absolutely challenge the socks off of you, but it's a good thing. And I I find peace now, and I find strength in that because so many times... I have to make decisions and I think, okay, what's safe versus what requires faith? And I try to always lean over into the side where faith is involved because I want to please God. 
I mean, I love ministering with this church's council. Um, they are men, uh, and, and, and they're men and wives of faith. And when they make decisions, like for example, I mean, we, we're a healthy church. Um, we're growing. Income is, is, is steadily always growing from year to year. And so we get to do our annual budget, and we say, okay, here's our, our, our annual income. And if we are careful here, we'll, we can predict our, what our income will be for the next year. And we set our budget, and we go through the process. That, that all makes perfect sense, that you would want to know that your funds here are being properly watched, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't stop there with this council. They look at that and go, well, that's fine. But where's the faith in that? Our heart is to see the tent pegs go further. Our heart is to see this church extend itself in some ways that are new, and we don't have the wherewithal, but we're going to plan that it's going to happen. And so they, they're men of faith. I love that. Having a place to anchor yourself in the Word of God, you know, was really helpful when people look at you and go, you know what, you're crazy. You're nuts. And you can say, no, hold on a minute. I have to do this because this faith was required. I can't, can't just do decisions because it's safe. Because without faith, it's impossible. The key to knowing what is best in your situation is knowing God. How do I know God? There are several ways, but you can definitely seek counsel from other godly people. Listen to him when you pray and then learn God's word. Then see if he doesn't speak to you. If he doesn't transform you, if he doesn't change the way that you see things and do things. Let me pray for you. And today's prayer, I want to pray over you the way Paul prayed over the church of Philippi. Okay? I pray, Lord, that today that that that, that love that we understand, we 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 translate it, it's, it's it's agape love, the kind of love that only you can bring, Lord, that it would abound more and more in our lives. I pray, Lord, Lord, that uh, both knowledge and depth of insight will help us then learn to discern, to know what is best. And Lord, while we're praying this, I know that there are people in this room that just statistically are facing major important decisions. And we could figure this out on our, lo- on our own, but the problem is that our ways are not your ways. Our thoughts are not your thoughts. And so we're never going to get to your highest and best for us by, by making these decisions on our own. We need the Lord to know what is best. Help us, Lord, to know your mind and your heart. Help us, Lord, to know your character. Help us, Lord, not to go to the safe place. Help us, Lord, also not to be somehow wedged spiritually by the lies of hell that would say we're not good enough to know and to walk with God, that he doesn't love us enough that our failures have somehow disqualified us. Lord, just would you erase and wipe out those hellish lies in the name of Jesus. May they not reside in the hearts of the people in this room and in hearing these words. I pray, Lord, something of freedom to flow among us today. And that, Lord, as we, your children, would, would just step closer into relationship with you, that by, by doing that, Lord, as we get, begin to know you, we begin to know your thoughts and your ways. And that, Lord, we would then know what is best. I want to pray, Lord, for people in this room who would love to know you, but today they only know of you. They only know about you. Eternity rests on our relationship with you, Lord. Scripture says there is no way to the Father except through Jesus. And there may be people in this room who have never heard that you loved us so much in spite of our sin and our failure that you decided to pay the price of our sin lovingly, 
freely by way of agape love. You paid the price because you seek our best and you decided to do that by sending your son. Lord, I want to thank you that you did that and that when Jesus came and he paid the price for Terry's sin, for my sin, that not only did he do that willingly, but then he demonstrated his authority over eternity by raising from the grave. No one else in history has ever done that. Witnessed by hundreds of people. Hundreds of people. It's not really in dispute. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Lord. Now I pray, God, that for those that are in this room right now, that, that the Spirit of God is saying, let me be your Savior and your King. They've never opened their heart to you before. I want to give opportunity. Eyes are closed. If you've never opened your heart, but you want to seal your eternity in heaven with Jesus, all it takes is for you to say yes and to call in the name of Jesus. You don't have to do anything. I'm not going to embarrass you, but it's a decision to receive the gift of salvation. Anybody here want to open their heart and receive the gift of salvation for your eternity? Just let me pray with you. I'll do it discreetly. Make eye contact or wave your hand so I don't miss you. God bless you. Is that why you're looking at me? Praise the Lord. Way to go. Good job, guy. Others? Okay. I think most of this church knows you. Lord, I, I thank you for a great decision of a move towards eternity. So pleasing to heaven. Bless this, this son. Bless him with life. Bless him with hope. And Lord, for all of us, Lord, fill this place with your spirit. Speak to us, Lord. We'll listen. Help us to learn the habit of listening to the voice of God.